Okay, everyone, we're ready to start. If you'll give me your attention for two minutes, make a quick introduction or two, and then we'll get started. Hope everyone's had a chance to log on to the I.O. page. It's not a requirement, but if you'd like to give us some live feedback, you'll see in the uh, social Q&A section, you'll see as you are all submitting questions, you might say, hey, I like that question as well, and you can tap to the left of it and basically bumps you know, or increases the importance, if you will, of your question. So our moderator, Abby, will understand what uh, you're dying to know, and she can try to address it during our program. Uh, so this, it's been a great uh, couple months run for programs. We've had some great attendance, some great survey results. We appreciate everyone's feedback. I always come here very happy, although I don't look happy. People tell me I look crabby, but today I do have a few regrets. I'm going to confess now. The first one is, no, I didn't get a haircut, for those of you who've asked. It's slicked back because I have very curly hair, and the humidity got to me this morning because I was in a rush. So I actually borrowed some hairspray in the office to mold this down. So can we stop with the hair jokes? Second regret, I never would wear this tie with this shirt, but the tie that I wore this morning <laughs> now has cafe latte right down the center. This was all that was laying around the Collier's office today. Um, and then my last regret is uh, I actually regret that we have not had this type of panel before with four just really wonderful and powerful and knowledgeable people, and in particular, women. We've not had an all-woman panel in, I think, Margie and my history on the committee. So we're very excited. We've got a chance to meet these ladies over the last few months and a few last night as well, and we're really excited about this program. So um, I want to mention we're going on hiatus, and we've got a couple interesting things in the works for the fall. We have our September Tales from the Trenches coming up. Uh, we've got some great speakers in mind that we've been uh, talking to and introducing to and trying to, you know, put ideas out there. Uh, so, again, keep those ideas coming. We'd appreciate it. Um, so today we're going to talk about change management. And uh, this program came together, really, I want to thank Barb Rixie from Canon Design and, and her teammates for uh, accepting our challenge. She thought this would be a great topic because she knows what people are asking for. And we... We dared her to put it together, and I think, Barb, you did it, what, in 15 minutes of, you know, hard work and about three months of easy work. But we're very happy you could do this for us, so thank you very much. So thanks, Barb. So what I, without further ado, I would like to ask if the ladies would come up over here to my side, and we'll kind of bring everybody up at one time and let them get settled. Um, our program today, we're going to have really essentially, I don't, Abby, I don't want to steal anything from you, but stairs are over this way. Yeah, be careful. Looks like an easy riser, but it's really not. So our, our speakers today, are, you know, three of them are going to talk about specific cases uh, in which they're all dealing. As you know, there's three fairly significant headquarters, if not regional headquarters moves going on on this dais uh, with uh, Zurich, CB, and most recently with Follett. And Abby Levine joins us from California uh, Delight's office. She flew in on the red eye this morning. Uh, she had family obligations, and she jumped on a, a red-eye plane from L.A. to Chicago. Those of you who've done it before know you'll never want to do it again. So I particularly want to thank her for coming in town to uh, moderate today. And then also to uh, her left is uh, Audrey Southard, uh, who's a lot of fun. I've spent some time with her recently. She just finished a big headquarters project down in Westchester we're dying to hear about. 
then down with Gerhardt, who uh, she and I think we know each other. We've worked at the same company at CB for years, but we seem like we've gotten to know each other pretty well through the internet and uh, you know emails. So thank you for joining. Um, and then last but not least, Jennifer Kyung on the end is about to embark on a really significant North American headquarters project for Zurich. And I'm sure you've all read about it. You've seen it in the, in the news. So she's kind of just getting started. We've got a veteran who finished, and we've got somebody right about ready to to, to uh, open the nest to the new workers. So we're excited to hear from all four of you. And I will get out of here so you can get started with today's program on change management. Thank you. So, so nice to meet everybody. Thanks for having me. Um, what, what we want to do is we're going to start off with just a few slides about kind of change management. I just wanted to kind of set the stage before people started to share their, their case studies. Um, and what I thought we could do is maybe pause after each of the case studies and open it up for some questions. So if you can be game and send me questions, they have a whole little device here that they've been training me on so I can receive your questions or otherwise I'll ask my own questions. Um, but um, so, so, let's see. Do I keep going? I guess these are all the generous sponsors. <laughs> this is everybody. Okay. Oh, and we're back at the beginning. And thank you very much. That was great. I thought that worked well for me. I don't know how that worked well for you. They asked me to moderate because I'm unflappable. Um, that was the, just a test to see if I'd get you know scared by the whole process. That's me jumping out of the one pot into the other. Okay, so um, so so Barb and I had an opportunity to work on a couple different projects over the years, and when she asked me to come and moderate, we talk, We started talking about change management, and we talk a lot about why these projects tend to fail, like why does workplace transformation projects fail? And part of the reason why they fail is because they don't have great change management. <clears throat> and part of the reason why they don't tend to have great change management is organizations historically underestimate the change that they're undertaking, right? So they, they tend to underestimate the impact that changing the workplace will have on people, the emotional response people will have. And so subsequently, the more successful workplace transformation projects that we've seen of late have really taken a focus on change management and organizations like the three organizations we're gonna hear from today are really kind of taking a narrow focus on trying to understand how, to, how much change the organizations are in, undergoing and how to help them through that change and how to do that change better. So, so kind of thinking about that in mind, thinking about organizations historically have kind of underestimated the change management component. So why do projects fail? Well, projects fail because the employees aren't engaged, right? So we tend to, um, people feel like the project's happening to them and not with them. Um, middle managers are not on board. Right? So they're the glue that holds the organization together. So their employees are not engaged, and their leaders aren't, aren't modeling the behaviors, and they're stuck somewhere in between, and so they're not properly engaged. Um, there's not enough understanding and alignment around the change itself. So it's all happening, and because people feel it's happening with, to them and not with them, they're not quite sure what's coming and how to deal with it. And so people don't respond well to the change because they're not quite sure what they're responding to. And then kind of everything else from that, right? So processes aren't realigned, technologies aren't implemented well, technologies aren't adopted well because people don't understand them. 
Um, people, they don't change established protocols about new ways of working so people understand how they're supposed to be working differently. So these are kind of the changes that, that we see when projects go awry, and I'm sure many of you have heard about them or seen them yourselves. Um, I know that from, through the course of my career and the various projects I've had the opportunity to work on, whether it was projects where I was part of the change or whether I was trying to drive the change, um, you know, these are kinds of things that you think about and try to respond to. So thinking about that and how you respond to them, we tend, at Deloitte, we tend to think about six levers um, of creating sustainable workplace change. So kind of six, thing, six things that you can think about as you go through the change process. So thinking about visioning and branding. So when we say that organizations underestimate it, they underestimate the magnitude of the exercise. And if you have to vision and brand the thing, then you're really kind of saying, hey, this is something that's really happening and we should really put a lot of focus around. And some of the really successful projects, they, they name it things and they, they have branding and materials and cups and swag that goes out to get people excited and enthusiastic and aware of the change that's coming. Also, the whole idea about executives as advocates. So there's two different kinds of executives that people are looking at. They're looking at the senior leaders to model behaviors, and then they're looking at middle managers to allow and enable the behaviors. Um, maybe 10, 15 years ago, when I was first starting in real estate, I had the opportunity to walk through a Fortune 500 space. It was beautiful. They had these, you know, lots of couch and couch areas where people could sit. And as we walked through the campus, no one was there. And so I said to the person who was touring us to their facility, I said, "Those are lovely. They're, I mean, the furniture was." more money than I was making. And um, I said, oh, those are lovely. Why doesn't anyone sit there? And they said, well, you know, if you sit there, then they think that you're slacking and you shouldn't sit there. And we put them there, but actually, no one's really supposed to sit there. And I was like, but they're like, you know, $200,000 worth of furniture every like, you know, so many feet. I was like, really? Like, no one's supposed to sit there? And they're like, yeah, no one's really supposed to sit there. And if a leader saw you sitting there, they'd write your name down and call your manager. So, so that's the kind of idea, like, so no one, because the leaders never sat there, everyone else thought you shouldn't sit there, but they spent a lot of money. They were really pretty. I keep hoping that I can go back and get some of that furniture. Um, there's also this idea of two-way cascading communications, right? So not only send information down, but pull information up. And that's a key to helping engage em employees and the people that are going through the change process in the change process. Um, employee and manager training. So I tend to think that this is the area most overlooked. So we tend to think, well, it's space. Why do people need to be trained? What do you, well, you sit down in the chair, and you sit at the table, and you work. I mean, so I had a red chair today, and I have a green chair tomorrow. How complicated could it be? Well, um, I know there's some furniture people in the audience. And in, in these chairs, there's a lot of science that goes into them. So you can buy someone you know, the chair that you're sitting in, and that's pretty simplistic. But if you're going to buy someone a real bells and whistles chair, you better make sure they really understand how to use it, or you might as well just give them that chair. And if you're going to give people new environments, you better communicate to them how they should work. And you need to communicate to managers about how they should work. And one of the biggest things we see with some of the really advanced workplace strategies, when, when organizations start to move to, more toward distributed work or mobile work, which is something that I spend a lot of time with, managers say, well, how do I manage someone from afar? So the training piece can not only be about the space, but it can also be about the whole work style. So you know, how do you use the environment? How do you manage people from afar? How do you do hoteling? How do I set my goals when I don't see my manager every day? How do I collaborate with people? And how do I use all the technologies that come with it? And then um, performance management, right? So I want you to work differently. Well, I better align the way I measure you to work that differently. You know, we talk a lot about productivity 
And in organizations, the truth of the matter is, is that people very rarely measure productivity except for people that have real transactional jobs. And it's a big, I think to myself, it's a real trap for people who are doing workplace change because they say, well, how, you know, Audrey's productivity might go down. Well, do you really measure Audrey's productivity today? Well, if she's not a, a claims person or a call center person, probably not. So, but this idea that if you want someone to work differently, you better create metrics and performance management to measure that or to gauge that or to reinforce that. Because otherwise, how do you know? And then finally, work style segmentation. So we create these amazing workplaces and they're not one size fits all and they're not intended to be one size fits all and your employees are not one size fits all. So really understanding, you know, when you go through workplace transformation, what are the different types of work styles you're trying to accommodate, how you're going to accommodate them, and then really understanding who fits into those work styles. So these are all kind of touchstones about kind of just general change management. And then finally, some of the activities and uh, and I think that these slides are available, so I'm not going to drain them, And because I, I know you want to hear the case studies and you don't want to hear me. But the whole idea about you know, some of the things that you can do, kind of assess the amount of change the organization is going to go through, understand how ready, your how ready the organization is about change, um, put together a change and communication plan. That's something that people tend to do, but it really kind of think about the, the, the types of communications, two-way communications, multiple types of media. Um, think about a risk mitigation plan. So what could go wrong and how are you going to address that? What if you, you know, all on my client from so many years ago, what if you build this and no one actually goes there? What does that look like? I know a lot of organizations tend to make their space smaller, right? So they walk around, they say, well, it's only 60% utilized, so I should cut it back. And then they go ahead and cut it back and then it's still only 60% utilized. So how do you account for that? Um, and then go ahead and do training and workshops. So those are some of the things that you can do. And now, kind of with that kind of setting the stage, what I'd like to do is I'd like to um, ask Jennifer to tell us a little bit about the project that she's going through, and then we can take some questions about Jennifer's project. Thank you. All right, thanks. So we all um, kind of collectively decided that we were going to come up to the podium and have this conversation with you. It's a little bit hard to, to point with our backs up there. Um, so hi, I'm Jen Kyung with Zurich, and I love what Abby was saying. We're just starting the journey, and a lot of the things that you're saying ring very true, which is why I was smiling a lot while you were going through the, the introduction. Um, so I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with Zurich. Um, I just would, whoops, that's not what I meant to do. Here we go. Ah, there we go. Um, so I'm not sure how familiar you are with Zurich in North America. I just thought I would spend just a couple of minutes at the beginning saying who we are and what we do. We are a large property and casualty insurance company focused on mid to large size commercial insurance. Um, so we started in Zurich, Switzerland, our home office in the late 1800s and made our way to Chicago in 1912. Um, where we settled here. So we've been in the Chicago area for over 100 years. Um, so recently celebrated our 100-year anniversary. Um, some of the things that, that we're known for, not going to drain this, but just want to let you know, so one, one of the largest construction insurers in North America, one of the largest insurers of auto dealers, of auto insurance, of general liability insurance, workers' comp insurance, um, the, the, list, the list goes on. So we are specialized in these areas. Um, 
In our past, as I mentioned, we came here in 1912. Um, FDR used to work at Zurich, which is sort of a fun fact. Um, we actually have, um, we had his desk on display during our 100-year anniversary and have his signature on one of the policies that he first signed when he was in our Maryland office. Um, and also we insured the World's Fair many years ago in 1933. And we also insured um, the building of the Hoover Dam, and we've been very involved in the Panama Canal that some of you may have been reading about as well. So, you know, so Zurich's focused on very, you know, large-scale um, insurance events. And so, um, in the U.S. Um, here today, about 8,500 employees. Our headquarters are located in Schaumburg, Illinois, where we have about 2,600 people employed there, as well as we have a Chicago market-facing location here in the city with about 400 people. So, you know, pretty sizable, about 60,000 globally um, with, with Zurich. So, so why are we here today? Well, um, as I mentioned, we have a great 100-year history, and we're looking at our future for the next 100 years to come. So when our lease was up for expiration um, at the end of 2016 in Schaumburg at the headquarters, at the Zurich Towers, where we are located right near Woodfield Mall in two 20-story towers, we said, what a fantastic opportunity to replant our flag. And also, we are on a mission to be the best global insurer as well as the best North American insurer. And our North America CEO, Mike Foley, wants to make sure that this effort, our new headquarters, is part of us being the best. So we really saw it as an amazing opportunity moving forward to replant our flag and make this the best place for our employees to come to work every day. So, um, so here is a rendering of our new headquarters. We are very proud, we're very excited, our employees are thrilled. Um, everyone's looking forward to 2016. Um, and I think, you know, something that I'll talk through, something that could have caused quite a bit of anxiety for our employees going through a move. Um, actually, there's a huge buzz in the air now. There's a buzz, there's an excitement, people can't wait for the move. So we are moving to the corner of I-90 um, and Meacham Road in Schaumburg. We'll be moving, um, we're going to be in the new location in November of 2016. We are building a new building that you see here on a campus, about 40 acres, that is right across from the Renaissance Convention Center. It's about 750,000 total square feet. Um, but as I mentioned, the real, the real focus here is around employee engagement and having the employees be excited for this. You know, we, we've been um, very focused on cost over the past few years, um, as folks are, are, are aware, and in, the next, um, in our next coming strategic horizon, very focused on growth and quality per square foot for our employees and employee engagement. So what I wanted to talk through just a little bit um, is we're at the very beginning of our journey. We are on year one of a three-year um, effort that we have going on. So we have quite a bit to do, but I thought I would share how we started um, our journey for this large-scale effort. So the very first thing that we did was set the vision with leadership. Um, so over a year ago, when I was approached to take this role, our, our senior leadership, Mike Foley and his senior team said, you know, we are going to do something different. We are going to appoint a business lead to head up this effort. We're going to pull someone out of the business entirely and have them lead this full time. So I was running a field organization in underwriting, and uh, my boss called me on a Friday afternoon and said, um, so Jen, um, you know, we have this great, um, great experience coming up, and we, we want you to lead it up. And I'm like, so... I'm leading a field organization. I'm not quite sure what it means to lead design and development of a new headquarters, but I'm in. I'm in. 
event. I'm so excited. This is something I absolutely could not say no to. Um, so they created a role called Business Lead, where I represent um, all of our employees, our senior leadership, um, where it's my full-time role that this is what I'm dedicated to through 2016. Um, and as part of that, we also appointed the steering committee, which are most of our senior staff, um, most of the C-suite, um, who's very involved in that, and they are highly engaged. We meet every month for at least 90 minutes and then in between as well to make key decisions in my role is to bring things to them. Um, and as part of that, right away, we, we set off setting guiding principles for the effort around what this means to us um, to be the best um, North American insurer and to really drive employee engagement at work. So that, that became a strong guiding principle. And then we also did something similar for technology. Um, so similar to what Abby was describing, we wanted to talk about, so what does it mean on the campus and how we're going to work and how will technology support us? And that actually has a lot of business implications. So we worked a lot with our steering committee to set that out and make sure that we were all on board and that we were charging at the same goal. Um, we brought um, uh, world-class business partners on board to help us with this. I mean, we don't build headquarters every day, so we don't, we don't know how to do this, right? We're an insurance company. So, so we went through um, a very rigorous process to bring um, leaders on board like Jones Lang LaSalle, like Canon Design, Getch Partners, so a number of folks that we brought on board, you know, Clayco, who's our developer, to help us in that journey who do this every day. Um, and they helped us establish the methodology so that we can go through and set out our vision. Um, the second thing we did was communicate, and so for communication, there we really focused on, and the, and the senior staff was very clear on this. We want to make sure that we communicate often and early and be as transparent as possible throughout the entire process. Even when we didn't exactly know where we were going to land, what our location would be, we started communicating before that and telling people that we were looking and here's what we're doing and here's the criteria. And so we were very open and, and, and employees appreciated that. They understood that we couldn't reveal everything because we were in negotiations and it was sensitive, but we just told them that. We said, hey, we want to tell you more. We just, we can't because we're in this process and here's why. And then of course, you want us to get, you know, get the best deal for us and for Zurich and for the employees. And I think if you just lay it out and tell people, they're, they're much more open. So now we're doing things like we have newsletters that come out every four to six weeks. We have an internal website, an external website. We do um, live updates, town halls. So we're trying a variety of different things to engage people, and they love it. Folks are, are very excited about that. Um, Gathering feedback and data points. So we started right off the bat with I'm a um, I'm a consultant um, by background and underwriter um, and by background. So I like a lot of data. I like to make decisions based on facts. And so we went to HR. We grabbed a lot of demographic data, and then we started partnering um, with Canon and others to to make sure that we were pulling in a lot of data, such as survey data. Um, focus groups, observational data. So we pulled all this in to help create a fact base to help make decisions and bring things to our steering committee to help guide us along the way. And then we also told people we were doing this. So we were very open with our employees to say, we're gathering data from you, you're part of the process, and here's what we're going to do with it. Um, bringing people on the journey, so very important, again, from the very beginning, starting a year ago, we invited our employees to be part of business work streams. So we heard their feedback on what was important to them, and we asked for volunteers to be to come along with us on the journey all the way from the beginning. And so we set up work streams on things like wellness and food service and workplace environment, um, technology, sustainability, learning and conferencing, even parking and transportation. And we said, who wants to volunteer and who wants to be involved? And, and we had a 
a huge group. Um, we have something at Zurich called Catalysts. These are people that, um, that um, you know, even in addition to the headquarters, they're people that volunteer to be understand the Zurich strategy and go out and communicate to their peers about it and be part of change. So we pulled in this Catalyst group and did a special invitation to them to join the business work streams so that they could help spread the word also on campus. So we've, we've started working with them and having individual meetings with the business work stream members to help us generate ideas for the design and bounce ideas off of them. And also we've been very open to say, and by the way, we expect you to be part of the change management and go out and talk to your peers about what's going on. So yes, you get to be part of this, but we, we're asking something of you too. We're asking you to go out and tell tell the story. Um, and then the last piece, and again, we're very early stages, so the last piece is here, we're, we're going to be proving it out. So it's great that we have all of this feedback. We actually need to prove it out in a proof of concept and a pilot of sorts to really say, what's going to work before we lock down the design? Um, so again, we're, we're working with Canon to set up some pilot workspaces where we'll bring in employees, rotate them through different workplace settings, have them use the technology so that that will help inform the design um, so to know what we will ultimately um, select and then um, implement longer term. Um, so that's something that we're really looking forward to and the employees are, are excited about that as well. So, a lot there, a um, um, lot there I wanted to go through. But like I said, I think something that could have caused a lot of anxiety instead, we have a lot of buzz early on. I think more so the challenge is going to be setting expectations with people because there are very high expectations. And so um, it's how you, you have to be careful of taking in feedback, but then not promising everything. And so we're at kind of that delicate balance early on in the process where that's something that we have to look towards. So so there I will I will pause and, and turn it back to Abby if there's questions or to pass along. Yeah, I want to look at the questions that you've submitted, but I think one question I wanted to ask was, um, so it sounds like you guys have put a, together a lot of structure, but has there anything about the process that surprised you thus far? Um, so surprise, I guess, um, you know, I'm I'm totally new to, to this, to the real estate, construction, design development. I've never done anything like this before. I guess for me, a, a, a pleasant surprise is, and for folks that aren't involved day to day with this industry, that the fundamentals are very similar to other project management fundamentals, which to me was a was a pleasant surprise. Um, I, I, you know, for me, a yes, the content is different, but if you've ever led any large scale change effort, any very large effort in your organization. To me, this follows what you would do for any large-scale change effort. So being, like I said, being a consultant and working in, in the insurance industry where I've led other large-scale changes, this is very similar. Um, but it is, um, it, it does cause a lot of emotion in people. And so the emotion is, is different. Um, and I, I would say that that doesn't really surprise me so much, but it's just something that I really have to take into consideration. I mean, I had people writing me in, in, our, in our headquarters mailbox saying, um, you know, we're thinking about buying a new house and we're not sure where to move and so can you just give me a clue where, where the headquarters are going to be so I can make a decision for my family. I'm like, well, wow, okay. Um, that is, it's, you know, not, not quite what I expected the first week on the job when we started talking about this. Um, but, I, but I would say applying the same fundamentals of how would you go about leading any other effort, um, any other large-scale project, and then always putting yourself in the shoes of the people that are going through the change because it is emotional. And so things like your daily commute to work and what 
Starbucks you drive through or your Dunkin' Donuts you drive through or where you drop your kids for daycare or where you run out to lunch to run your errands. Those are really, really important things to people. And so to always keep that in mind, to keep the people in mind and how people would feel going through this, that it could cause a lot of anxiety. So that, that's my role to be thinking about that all the time. That's great. Yep. So let's go on and then we'll come back because I think there's more questions for you. So as part of uh, being on the first all-women panel, I think for future reference, we should have gotten the memo on not wearing a skirt when we're going to be sitting on an elevated stage, <laughs> sitting on bar stools. So apologies if there's anything that you've seen that you didn't come here to see today. <laughs> uh, so uh, let me advance the slide here. Um, I, my name is Domla Gerhardt. I'm with CBRE's Workplace Strategy Team. Uh, I've been with CBRE for about two years now, and uh, my first day when I when I showed up, I uh, got my computer and my email address, and I was feeling you know really good. And uh, my boss says we have an exciting new project for you to work on. I said, Great, Fortune 500 company, great senior leadership, and they want to do uh, a new workplace strategy across their entire portfolio. And I'm like, wow, I've hit the jackpot. This is going to be amazing. And who's the client? Well, it's CBRE. Um, do I have a choice? No? Okay, so here I go. So um, see, we basically had, were in this situation where we had 20, more than 20 offices that had lease expirations coming up over the next three years. So there was a huge impact to basically touch a lot of people across our organization um, and certainly um, affect millions of dollars. So um, it was a huge project. We were basically hired um, by CBRE's corporate real estate team to do basically what we would do for a client. So all the processes that we went through, was we basically took it in-house, but there was, there was very much this unique client consultant relationship where, you know, at the end of the day, you can get on a plane or you can go home, but no, I still have to see that guy every day. So um, it, it, was, it certainly proves to be an interesting challenge, but one that we're certainly up for. So um, in terms of, you know, not only was the real estate um, expirations obviously leading us down this road, but like many of you and like many of our clients, there was sort of the perfect storm. So, you know, nothing new here, but tons of underutilized space, right? We're growing, but there's no room for growth. Um, you know, we needed much better technology. It was certainly something that was lackluster and employees were really asking for it. Um, and then a high focus on collaboration, of course. Um, but the most important one, I think, was leading by example. So for us, you know, we're a real estate company. So if we can't figure out how to do this successfully for ourselves, it's hard to be able to talk to clients about it. So at the end of the day, we are advising on all kinds of things related to real estate. And this is a hot topic for many organizations. So why not lead by example and actually walk the talk? Um, so as I sort of go through, I want to share just sort of the perspective I'm taking. So we opened up our new LA headquarters last fall, um, our new headquarters in LA last fall. So I've, I've sort of been through it, but speaking specifically for Chicago, we're getting ready to move to our new office in October of this year. And it will be the largest Workplace 360 office that we've opened to date. So I'm, I'm at an interesting point in the process where I've seen it, we've already had some good lessons learned and examples, um, but we're also living, living through the the dream slash storm um, right now in Chicago. So um, our, our client at Cisco always has a really interesting quote. Um, he says, 
in God we trust, but for everybody else, please bring data. So we went through a ton of studies, basically doing surveys, utilization studies, really trying to gather the data. And as you can see, despite the fact that everyone's like, oh, we're different, we have different lines of business here. We operate differently here, West Coast, East Coast, you know, smaller market, larger market, but the truth is we're not all that different. So we found pretty consistently across the board that the utilization was low. But the other part of the, uh, the equation was really that everyone wanted to feel like they were special and that they, were, they wanted a customized solution that wasn't, you know, what we did in LA is not what we're gonna do in Chicago. And so there was a lot of time that we actually spent with the senior leaders um, and with the employees in the various markets, really trying to understand what's important to them. So while a lot of this data is very similar across the board, we did spend a lot of time actually really trying to understand for employees, what's unique to you? Yes, you're in brokerage, but how does your job differ than you know the brokers in another office or whatever the case may be? So. Um, for us, it was actually also really important to get that buy-in. So, um, you know, we're a company of 40,000 CEOs, so everyone's got an opinion, um, and no one's afraid to share it. So you've got to be careful um, in terms of having an effective and efficient process, but not making feel like people not making people feel like the train is leaving the station and it's too late for them to hop on board. So one of the things um, that we really focused on was creating a vision. So um, at the end of the day, employees want to know why. And you have to be prepared to answer that question all the time in the elevator, on your way to the restroom. They don't care. They want to know, why are we doing Workplace 360 in this office? So for us, it was really getting very clear about a vision that not only we believed in, but that we actually had air cover on. So getting our CEO and our global head of HR to support this gave us actually a huge advantage. And I think we always share with clients that in order to make it be very successful, you've got to have senior leadership's buy-in. You can try to do a grassroots effort, and that will get you so far. But at the end of the day, People want to feel like senior leadership actually supports this and buys into it. So this vision was this vision was developed um, in concert for them. So after being able to effectively address effectively address why are we doing this, the second question is always, well, what's in it for me? Because you know, truth be told, I really don't care what we're spending on real estate costs um, on an annual basis. So getting very clear about what the value proposition was for them in terms of providing better technology, much better space, and. Um, you know, I think in the world of change management that we all live in, um, we were going through one of the very, very earlier offices. We came in and we did a focus group. And so we said, talk to us about what works in this office and what doesn't. So, you know, the entire 90 minutes was everything doesn't work. There wasn't a single thing that worked about it. They hated everything. So great, this is a perfect opportunity. So then we come back, you know, several months go by, we come back, same group of people, and we're getting ready to share with them what the future of the workplace looks like. So we've basically taken into account everything they told us, and we're ready to unveil, you know, the future. And they hated it. And all of a sudden, the, the current situation wasn't so bad. And they really did not want to change. So I think people are very, very afraid of anything new because they overvalue what the current state is. Um, so I think really getting them to remember what they had told us back in the day and all the things that were that were wrong with the current work environment and how we were really focusing on addressing those. 
Um, so one of the things that we did, in addition to you know, communications and everything else, um, that, that really kind of went a long way is what we created change committees. And this was our attempt to get involvement across our employee base. So um, you'd be surprised you know, that what people are interested in and, and what they really want to get involved in. So um, rather than leaving it to just a steering committee to make a lot of these decisions, we actually opened it up and said, listen, if you really care about furniture and you want to hang out at the Merchandise Mart and come kick the tires on a few different types of workstations, please by all means so we really allowed people to get involved in what they wanted to be involved in and that created a lot of different change committees and while it may have made our process a little bit more complicated or um, maybe things took a little bit longer than if you just had one or two people making a decision at the end of the day people actually can stand up in front of it because they were involved in picking out that specific chair that's going to be in that conference room so um, there were a lot of committees that um, that we assembled, and this was sort of one of the lessons learned from early days when we didn't involve a lot, a lot of people in the office, and not to say that it wasn't a great success, but what we found is the more people that want to be involved, allow them the opportunity to do so. Um, so just kind of my feedback from the front lines and, and all the holes in my bulletproof vest, um, there's, there's a lot of things that, uh, that we've kind of learned. And, and the first thing is you have to believe in it. So if you're the person that's responsible for rolling this out in your organization, you can't say one thing to the public and then say something else behind closed doors. You actually really have to believe that this is the right thing to do for the organization. If, and if you don't firmly believe in that, then maybe, you know, maybe we need to go back to the drawing board and figure it out. And I think that was something that we learned early on with some of our various offices. You know, the senior, so we, we always have a senior, you know, managing director in every market. And they, they said, yeah, I, I get it. I think this is the right thing to do. But you could tell at the end of the day, they just didn't really believe in it. So for us, it was much more much more important about circling back to make sure that they understood why we were doing this. Um, and then the second thing is you can't delegate this. So um, there were instances where that senior you know, managing director would say, yes, sounds great, appreciate it, love the, love the plan, let's go ahead. And they would hand it off to their you know, right-hand person or some other random person that had been tapped on the shoulder to run with this project. And what we said is it's not just a project. I mean, we're fundamentally changing how we work. We're trying to do a cultural transformation. It's not about new furniture or new paint on the walls. This is going to change how we do business as a company. So it's not something that you can delegate um, if you're really trying to do something transformational. Um, the third thing was really addressing the paper. So everything somehow leads back to paper. And all the great solutions we'd put in place in terms of free addressing and this great new environment, people were like, but what about the paper? I need my papers, I need my stuff. So we actually went through what we called a digitization process, which I never even knew that there were companies that did this, but we hired companies that came in with giant multi-function device machines and literally scan documents all day long. So our employees went through, they purged the stuff they didn't want to keep, and they brought in boxes of their files, some over decades, and handed it off to these people, and they went through and scanned them. They put them on in folders based on however the employee had identified, and it was, it was just amazing. And, um, they were incredible partners for us and continue to be because a lot of times people say, yes, I'm going to digitize, but who has time to come in on the weekends or stay late at work to scan hundreds of files? So um, for us, really addressing the paper was sort of the cornerstone in terms of getting people to see the light. Um, and then health and wellness. So 
you know, sitting is the new smoking or whatever, whatever it is in terms of how bad it is for you on a daily basis. But we really were trying to focus on creating an office that was focused on health and wellness. So um, everything from doing sit, stand, workstations to our um, headquarters in LA being well certified, which is sort of, you know, what LEAD was, I think maybe five, seven years ago. A lot of offices are now pursuing this well certification. So the building is, is LEAD, but once you get into the environment itself, it's actually well certified. So, all sorts of interesting things like the lighting and the air quality and whatnot that, that sort of pursue this designation. But for us, that is a huge part of this workplace strategy, especially since real estate rolls up into HR um, at our company. So of course, they care very much about not only you know, the cost side of it, but what are we doing from the employee side of it. Um, be very transparent and admit to your mistakes. So um, we thought with, with the LA office, we had this great idea with everyone being digitized. And uh, the very first group of people that brought in their boxes and had their files scanned actually shut down our entire server, um, which was very, very bad. Um, so all of a sudden, we're trying to pr push a new workplace strategy, but we can't even get the server to, to work. And we're trying to be able to be digital and virtual. So you know, we had to own up to it and learn and recognize that you know there were a few things that we need to circle back and figure out. Um, but but stand up in front of it because it's not going to be successful. You know, right out of the gate, you're going to make mistakes, um, and hopefully you'll learn from them. And and in our situation, there's again 20 plus offices. So. Um, you know, we had to tell the earlier offices, when you go see office number 21, please don't come back and call me because there are things that maybe we're not going to do right here that we're going to get corrected down the road. Um, and then make it meaningful. So all of a sudden, you know, to uh, when we were talking about some of the perks of the new space, um, I, I was doing a town hall with one of our offices, and I said, every single workstation is going to have dual monitors. And uh, this, you know, this gentleman raises his hand. He's very tenured, very successful, and he's like, "What the hell do I care? I only have one set of eyes. So dual monitors is not something I'm interested in. I want my private office, and I want my files in it. And so I think once we were able to show this person what you can get out of dual monitors, the fact that you know you can have your email up on one screen and you can have the lease or whatever you're working on another screen, all of a sudden it, it becomes meaningful. So dual monitors is you know, one of those things that people are like, whatever, but then when you show what the benefits can be, and there were a lot of examples of that throughout. So I think every time you're writing the, the benefit statement is, you know, think about how that really translates to what people do and how they work in their day-to-day. Um, and then my, my last lesson learned, I think, was start yesterday. So um, for our Chicago office, again, like I said, we're moving in October. Um, and we started the process with um, um, in, sept in April of 2012. So it's going to be about a two and a half year runway in terms of when we started doing the early day observations, focus groups, utilization study, to when we're actually going to be moving in. So, and in terms of, in, in our mind, I think the change management starts day one because as soon as the employees started seeing the folks walking around, checking on utilization, that immediately sort of, you know, the antennas are up. And you have to be very clear about what you're going to start communicating that first day because everyone's starting to pay attention immediately. So the change management is not, you know, when you're getting ready, you know, to box up the for the move or even once you move in. Um, so less than 80 days to go. Um, but if you look me up on LinkedIn in 80 days from now, it does not say CBRE next to my uh, company. You might know why. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, we're planning on a very successful rollout. But for us, um, it's 
It's very much a reinvestment strategy. So there are cost savings associated with this, but for, for every dollar that we're spending, we're also looking at how we can reinvest this back into the company. So if we would have just focused on cost savings, maybe we could have saved, you know, $5 million. But if, you, if we take a chunk of that and put it back into the company with much better technology, you know, better quality space, maybe the savings at the end of the day only ends up being $2 million. So for us, it's not just about cost savings, but much more focused on um, creating a better work environment for our employees. So, um, but don't get me wrong, I mean, the business case is there for every single project, but um, it's not strictly about cost savings, and we are spending a lot more than we would have traditionally in terms of reinvesting in technology. Um, in terms of just sort of what we're pursuing with our solution, it's, you know, 100% free address work environment. Um, we're, we're really focusing on the ability to take on additional headcount without growing our space um, and uh, really creating more energy and buzz in the office. So I know, I know our LA headquarters has, you know, gotten um, a little bit more attention, but truthfully, it's it's been much better for the employees in terms of them coming back to us and saying, it's exciting to come into work here. In fact, when we did the post-utilization study of that office, it actually skyrocketed. Even though people said, wow, I have more flexibility. I can do my work from anywhere now. We've actually seen more people come into the office just because it's that much of a nicer place to be, and there's so much energy in the work environment. So um, it's, been, it's been a very interesting ride, and it continues as more offices is open, but um, stay tuned for Chicago coming in fall, October of 2014. So thank you. So, so one question for you that came in while we were talking, yeah. um, and that is, so there's an old adage that say that doctors make the worst patients. So workplace change to a workplace organization, what have you done to bring naysayers along? Um, done a lot, gosh. So I think in term, for us, you know, all the arguments that we've gotten from our clients have been, I think, tenfold for us. So, you know, you're working with an organization and they say, well, you know, people are going to leave if we do this. You know, we, we certainly heard that. Or, you know, they need a private office because they're a big producer or because they've been here for, you know, a really long time. You know, we heard that. And I think for us, it was all about bringing it back to what they were going to get in exchange. So. Yes, there are people that are, you know, fairly happy with what they have today, but when you can talk about the trade-off in terms of, I get that you want your private office, but wouldn't it be great if you could also have this, 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 and this? Um, and I think, you know, for the most part, people are rational, and they understand that it's not an open checkbook, that, you know, it's not a perfect world, um, and if you can sort of just to be honest in terms of what they're giving up, what they're getting in return, most people can see the value proposition in that. Not everyone. But for the most part, not everyone. <laughs> you ready? Okay. Thank you. So I'm between you and the World Cup, or it's about this time the presentation that the extra serving of masa chili is just not feeling quite right. So uh, maybe I should just say that we moved in in March, and I still have all my fingers, and you can see my beautiful toes. Uh, because, you know, we all wore dresses, so the, the show would go on for all of you if you got bored. But uh, I don't think I would do service if I didn't cover some of it. But what I will tell you is a lot of the things that my colleagues have said uh, ring true with our project. And so what I did want to do is just talk about Follett real quickly so you get maybe an understanding of maybe the differences that companies face as you support them or are in the middle of change. So to kind of start with Follett, 
I'm going to ask a question. I kind of looked at the audience. I think I'm pretty safe with this one. So you have to go back to the time when you're in college. For some of us, this will be quick. For others, I'll give you a few minutes. All right. And so remember those days by a show of hands. How many of you went to the bookstore to get your books? Please raise your hand. Look at that. So yes, you are all old, officially, right? So that's what we call sell-through in the business. So if there's 100 students in class, about 90% of you went to the bookstore, so our sell-through would be 90%, right? And thank you very much. I have a great car, wonderful big house, you know, great teeth on my kids. So I, I do thank you for that. It was great. But if I was to ask you and you were current college student, or you're asking your son or daughter or niece and nephew that same question, I'll just talk, what percent, if we say 90% of you went to the bookstore to get your college textbooks, what do you think if today you were all college students and I asked that question, what percent would you say? 10? Really? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Anybody else? 40? So it's in that 30 to 40 range. So sell through for fall at 90. I've been with the company over 15 years, going down to 30, right? That's a pretty big transformation of our business. It's not just because people are going to the internet or e-commerce, because we're a leader in that field. It's because education is changing. How our children are getting taught is completely disruptive and transformational, which is exciting, but when you're in the textbook business, a little bit frightening, right? So the good news is the burning platform for change started with this building project. So I think for me, as the project lead, that burning platform was an, a real necessary step in getting our associates to really kind of sign on with a new building and a new way of working. And so when we think about transformation, for us, the burning platform was our business, our industry, the need to change in order for us to survive. Follett's been around for about 140 years, so there's some consistency, although I don't have as many famous people uh, that have worked at Follett outside of Aunt Mary, but I don't think any of you know her. Uh, <laughs> she was famous to me. But you know, if you think about it, we're 140 years. We're about a $2.7 billion provider of education and services from K through 12 all the way to higher education. Many of you may know Follett because we operate over 1,000 college bookstores. And so as education is disruptive and transformational, we really needed to change. It started with our new CEO, who's been with us about two years. Her name's Mary Lee Schneider. And she was the first non-family CEO in the history of the company. Now, if you take a moment, that's incredible, right? 140 years, and she was the first non-family CEO of the company, primarily because of her background in technology and digitalization and, and kind of where the industry is going. So we get a new CEO who really has decided kind of a one-follow direction, that instead of all these businesses, back in the days when we had 90% sell-through, we all operated very differently. We had large staffs, things were good. You know, we could be entrepreneurial and decentralized. And she really changed that and said, we have to go to market as one company. We have to trim our costs. We have to really think differently. So we looked at four different buildings with really four different cultures. And the goal was to merge them into one, one follow kind of headquarter office. So, so that was really the challenge. So if you think about the need for transformations due to market changes, you know, it wasn't hard to kind of talk to our associates about changing and coming together. I think the other thing is our current workforces were very siloed, kind of change adverse, slow to change. We had three different offices. River Grove, our corporate headquarters, was kind of like a scene from Mad Men. So you can picture that, it's exactly, except for the smoking. 
about the same, and the drinking was there, so it was all good. <laughs> so this was like the office mecca. If you were the janitor, you had an office, probably 220 square feet. <laughs> My partners are here to tell me when I'm lying, but uh, they'll be good. So we had this building, which was like office headquarters, and then we had a building in Westmont that I call the Cube Farm. And the, and the cube farm had, everyone had their cubes, but the real challenge was how high could I get my cube to go so I absolutely don't have to see anybody or talk to them. So that was the cube farm. And then we had our retail corporate office, which was kind of a combination of all of that. And our leadership was on one floor. We called ourselves floor one and a half because it sounded so impressive to have leadership all on one floor. So this is the follet challenge that Mary Lee Schneider gave me. And I think a, a common element was we were all asked, uh, for this great project, I lost my voice and was homesick when Mary Lee called me, and I said a lot of things to her, but thankfully she couldn't hear any of them because I lost my voice. <laughs> because I lost my voice, she took silence for yes, so that was how I got the project. But we had different cultures, different buildings, bringing them all together. We had about five months to do this project for various reasons, although it was a couple of years to find the site from the time that we found the site uh, and ECI will remind me that it was four months construction, one month demolition, so five months for this project. So uh, I've learned already. So it was a huge challenge, and I start with that story because I think that maybe makes this project a little different than others. It just wasn't a move, but we really saw this building as the start of a journey for our transformation, not only internally, but externally. We really wanted to market Follett as not Aunt Mary's Follett, as a very forward-thinking technology, place you'd want to go externally, you know, a company that you'd want to be part of, and to tell our employees kind of this new story. So this building was not just a building. It was the start of this kind of transformational journey. And so we began the One Follett Campus Project. I'm going to stay on this slide for one second because for me, being a novice, and I think that was another theme, that many of us had never really run these large-scale projects. I'm not sure what's wrong with corporate America that they're giving us the leaders who don't know anything about this, these areas. I think it's maybe all of you who've created this, so we're so dependent on you. I think that maybe that's the, the, whole, the whole scam behind this. But, <laughs> but the team that we selected, to me, made a difference in this journey. And CBRE, God bless them, it was a five-year challenge about where we're going to be and who was going to be in a, each building until we got our new CEO. We really didn't have decisiveness. So they helped us. And we wanted to make sure we had a blend of a beautiful new bu building, but yet we're asking the Follett family to go in their pockets and give us money to create this gorgeous building. So you do have to be careful. At the same time, anytime you're in transformation, you may be faced with employee layoffs or changes to the business, and we didn't want opulence either. So the challenge was really how do you select a site that allowed you to really be state-of-the-art but not make the statement that was inappropriate. And so that was a challenge in itself. And then I'd say the second kind of best move was picking Canon as our design firm. And I'd say the differentiator here was we really knew that change management would be a problem. We knew the Mad Men folks would want their offices. We knew the Cube Farm people would want the height. And we knew going into it that this was not going to be easy. We didn't have a lot of time. And I would tell you when we interviewed the different firms, the fact that Cameron came out and said to us up front, we have a whole change management playbook. I mean, we, not, just, you know, not just talk, but here's the playbook. And for me, I wanted that playbook because I didn't want to reinvent the wheel. So I think as you're going to companies, understand that you know, we need that assistance, that you're faced with managers who are leading this project who may not have that background experience. So to me, you know, that was really instrumental in the change, was having a partner who understood that we'd have tremendous change management and gave us a playbook 
to really go and do that. Then I also say ECI. And you know what's interesting on this team is I would be in these project meetings and probably ask the dumbest questions that you'd ever heard. And, and I know that everyone wanted to laugh quite often. But, but they did it because I think what happened is sometimes when you're not in your industry and you're leading a project like this, a question is a question that maybe you hadn't heard of before or maybe because you've been so deep in it that you look at it in a new perspective. And this team that we had just helped us do that and not really, you know, hey, why don't you, Audrey, go to the side and we'll just build this building for you and you come back. I wouldn't let that happen because I'm pretty anal. So, you know, it was, it was kind of we're all in it together. And what I did find out is, is the group, although great, that whether it's furniture or construction or design, you're a little incestuous. Have anyone ever told you that? Like, like I'd be in a meeting and, and Meg would go to Dave, hey, how's the kids and how's this on vacation? And I'm like, wow, these guys really know each other. And then we talk to furniture vendors, oh, how's Mary? And I'm like, does anyone here have neutrality? So uh, the way I got that was I found this great guy, and let's see if I say his name right. You all laugh, right? But Billy Canopiotis, and Billy brought to me what I would call neutrality because we needed a project manager because I didn't know. And it was a little frightening when everyone hugs each other at kind of vendor presentations. <laughs> I'm not used to that. So having Billy was kind of a great ad. I'm not sure what's happening right now, but... I think it's all good. <laughs> Let's hope so. So I just want to say, for me, as a novice to this kind of project, the team was essential externally, and I mentioned them. But also internally, we hand-selected folks from our company that were influencers. And this was not title-based. It was really influence-based. And I know people had said to me, yes, yeah, some people on your committees, you know, it's kind of weird. You have, you know, assistant. You have someone from facilities. You have a director. You have a manager. You know, I really looked at picking influencers. And my background in human resources, made it easier to really pick those people who, when people are having a cigarette outside, they're going to listen to that person. Or if someone's in the cafeteria and that person says it's going to be OK, that's the person that they really listen to. So internally, it was really important that we picked a team of influencers, not really by title, but more by, uh, by their role in influencing. So that's where we ended up, the Fala campus at Westbrook. I could have taken a nicer picture, but it's hard when you're driving and you're using your, your phone. It just doesn't turn out like you, like you thought. But we're 163,000 square feet and seven and a half floors of Westbrook Tower 3. And uh, it had its own challenges, right? I told you that we're trying to transform the culture, bring us together to be more collaborative, innovative, state of the art. But yet we were going to seven and a half floors. And so right away, design concerns about silo and how would we get people to really interact on each floor and, and all the challenges that come with that. And then, by the way, teller employees were going to complete open plan, no offices. You know, the Mad Men people were thrilled, thrilled with that solution. So quite, a, quite an important project. And I only show you this when I talked about Canon helping us with change management in a playbook. We started very early. I think that's another theme uh, often. This is just a narration of all the work that we wanted to map from really August through the end of the project and really I would tell you now, even after the project, certain things that you really have to make sure that you manage. So change management, uh, having a timeline, having an expert, looking at what we would do each month, constantly refreshing. We had a dedicated internet site for all employees, constant communication, town halls, you know, really communication, communication, communication. So for us, the key change action items, uh, we started with an employee service survey. That seems like a theme, but for us, that was really important. 
our employees came out with 43% satisfied in their current workplaces. So do you think that's good? 43%? Well, I guess the average is around 60%. So the good news is that was a burning platform for change, to be able to take that survey before we even announced where we were going to be, before we really got into heavy aspects of design, People wanted more light, they wanted more office space, they wanted better technology. So all those things helped us kind of in that change management. So I would say if you haven't, the survey is very key. I already talked about handpicking senior leaders, creating employee management teams. I think that's consistent that you've heard. Uh, we gave tours of the new building. This Dave Hetrick gave me this idea. Um, we were just sitting in a room and I was like, God, I don't know how to explain open plan. I'm getting articles with open plan sucks uh, in my inbox. Uh, people are not afraid to insult you in the bathroom. Uh, are you going to be in the open plan, Audrey? I'm like, yeah, I am. Yeah, right. You know, and then you get an article, open plan sucks <laughs> every day. Um, so, you know, because of that, you have to make sure that, that the committees and the teams that you're using are influencers, that you communicate. But what Dave gave us the idea is, why don't we give him a tour? Why don't we mock up an open plan? And that was kind of new to me. We were kind of constructing, so we didn't have couldn't use existing towers. So we gave all 700 associates the opportunity to come and tour the new building. The nice thing is we had amenities that we didn't have before, like Starbucks and dry cleaners and a really nice cafe and a bar, which is pretty essential now in the workplace. So we had all these things we could show them. But then we also showed them the open plan. You know, whether they kind of liked it or not, they respected that we gave them a chance to sit in it, look at it, ask questions. We let our employee committees pick the furniture. We had three finalists. So we didn't let them pick open plan versus offices. But employee involvement is so important. We let them pick which one do you prefer? What could you work in? Do you think they picked the least expensive vendor? No, they picked the most expensive one. But you know what? It was OK, because that started the acceptance. They wanted a higher divider in the open plan than what we decided. I was totally against it. But really, they came out strongly in kind of the review and say, if you just do that, that gives us some feeling of privacy. That ended up being a home run. Just how many inches on a divider? A little higher, so that we listen to them. These little things that we've all said make just such a difference. So listening to employees was key. Luckily, our CEO is not a wallflower. She's very passionate. And so she was our champion. I really just had to kind of get out of the way, make sure we we're on time and under budget. And she was also the hammer. When we had leaders that weren't necessarily getting it, complaining about it, she took one of those leaders aside and had lunch with her and talked about transformation and what we were trying to do. And if she as a leader wasn't excited about it, how could her people be excited about it? So I loved having a champion like that. Now, you can't use that every day, but you know it's a nice kind of chit to have to bring your leader in when you have those moments, because you're going to have those moments. And then we had day one, week one, month one move activities, creating a lot of fun. We did a treasure hunt around the seven and a half floors because we wanted people to get out. We bought really nice furniture. And we made our CEOs and executives sit on it. We had them take meetings sitting out in our hub areas so that people felt comfortable. You know, it's interesting, once they did that, people sat in those chairs. And I believe that if we hadn't, they would be just like your example. So a ton of learnings, a ton of lessons. In the end, I'd say pick a great team, listen to your partners, involve your employees. It doesn't necessarily have to be scary to involve employees. Just make sure you involve them in the things that you actually can change and do. Survey your employees. And then keep your wine bar stacked to the hilt. <laughs> Maybe order an extra case when the project starts, because you're going to drink every bottle by the time the project's over.
So I hope I didn't bore you, but that's pretty much the end of the project where Inc. Magazine recognized our workspace uh, just a, about a month ago is, is kind of state of the art. And to me, that was is really the defining moment when external people recognize in, in a beautiful uh, technology, innovative, hopefully not Aunt Mary's kind of folly. So thank you very much. So we're, I think that people are kind of, we're right at the end of the time. I, of course, for me, it's only 11.30, so I've got plenty of time. Um, uh, but I think one question for you, given the strategic nature of your project, Audrey, given the fact that the organization is going through a transformation, can you talk just a little bit about how you involve the different functional leads and kind of, in addition to your CEO, who else from a leadership perspective was really involved and what role did they play? You know, we looked at influencers, and so we had a head of our general merchandise group, and and that group, a very young, primarily female audience, uh, really didn't feel like the workplace spoke at all to what they needed to do to be creative and innovative. So when we brought her in, we actually showed her pictures with Canon's help of leading merchants you know, from all across the nation, from all across the world, pictures of how their workplaces look like, and had them pick them and just put them up on the wall and say, what do you like about this? What do you like about that? Our committees were heavy on that group's side. We involved a lot of their employees. Because again, they were probably the largest group that we were concerned about moving to this open plan. They worried about space, so we built a showroom where they could work so that we could still have an, enough efficiency in the space, but give them a place where they could actually do what they needed to do. So I think in that regard, that leader and that whole team, we spent a lot of time. And then we found people who just got it. And when people, leaders do just get it, you kind of use them a lot. And, and those that didn't, we kind of just let them come along for the ride. Yeah, how about one more? How about for um, Damla? The, uh, here's a question for you. In terms of as you're going through an iterative project, did you do post-occupancy studies to kind of assess how you were doing? Yes. So we've done post-occupancy evaluations for every single office, and we do the 30-day one. So if anything's drastically wrong, we're not waiting a long a period of time to circle back. And then we do the six-month one because we feel like by six months, the dust has settled, and usually people have worked out whatever, you know, kinks they had, um, but in every single one, we actually review it prior to making final decisions for the next project so that we're learning from every instance. Awesome. Well, thank you, ladies. I appreciate it. And does everyone agree with me now? We had an outstanding panel today. Thanks, Barb. Thanks so much. I know the time went by quickly. Thank you. Awesome. So uh, the planning committee uh, for programs is meeting right here at 1.30. Those of you who said you'd come. Have a great summer, everyone. We'll keep you posted on our September and October programs when appropriate. Thank you. <laughs>